and welcome to Wilderness Wanderings. I hope everyone had a great weekend of worship with their local congregations and are ready to get back into the weekly swing of things rejuvenated and re-energized. I'd like to point out that if you'd like to help support this podcast, check out our sponsors like the American Bible Society. Their mission is to give people access to the life-changing message of God's Word by distributing copies of the Bible around the world in over 200 countries and territories. Also, with summer upon us, it's time to check out that seasonal wardrobe. Check out Christian Strong Apparel for your summer and soon-to-be fall clothing needs for men, women, and children. You can also order custom gear for your organization, shirts, hoodies, bags, and more. You can access both of these wonderful sponsors at our website, wildernesswanderings.org. A portion of every sale will go to support this podcast, as well as go to support local ministries here in the Austin, Texas area. So, the question of the day is, what are you doing here? No, 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 not what are you doing listening to this show, but this is a question that we all need to periodically consider in our lives. To put it another way, are you living, quote, under the circumstances, or are you rising above your circumstances? And we're going to dive into this today. If you have a Bible handy, turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 9. And while you're turning there, I'm going to go ahead and set the stage for you. I remember several times throughout my childhood that I found myself in a situation where I just wasn't supposed to be. Of course, haven't we all? As children, we have a tendency to let our curiosity get the better of us and our lack of common sense. I recall a time I was hanging out with some friends of mine after school. Football practice had been canceled due to field conditions following a storm the previous day, and our coach didn't want us to risk injury until the field had dried up a bit. So instead of telling my mother that practice had been canceled and then taking the bus home from school, I chose to hang out with at the local chicken hut with some friends, and then, as it was getting closer to time for my mother to get off work, I crossed the street and to catch my ride home. What I did not know is that Mom had gone home early for reasons I still can't remember. I tried calling the house, and she had already left there on the way to pick me up at the football field. When she didn't find anyone at the field, she came to the courthouse where her office was where I was with one of my high school buddies. As we were leaving to go back towards the school, hoping to catch Mom there, we crossed paths. And with that stern, southern mama look on her face, she looked me right in the eye and asked me, What are you doing here? And thus began the uncomfortable ride home as I explained what happened, knowing that I should have just taken the bus home. A couple of years later, she asked me a similar question, but with a greater sense of urgency and fear. As I mentioned in our first episode, in 1990, I was involved in a tragic, serious accident, which I escaped with minor injuries. My car was upside down and in the ditch, transformed into a crushed, right-angled monster. I remember seeing my mom get out of the police car that had transported her from the courthouse and running to me on the side of the road that day, frantic. As she held me, I remembered two questions she asked once she was calm enough to grasp the fact that I was alive and well. 
The first question was, how did you get out of that thing? But the most important question soon followed, is what were you doing here on this road? As you recall, I wasn't supposed to even be on the road that day. I was supposed to be going to pick her up for lunch. Instead, I took a detour, a detour that would end up changing my life from that moment forward. Now, in our study today, let's give you some context as to what's going on. The prophet Elijah is on the run as a fugitive. The kingdom of Israel had been under the leadership of Ahab and his foreign queen Jezebel for some time. They had instituted a state religion of worship to Baal and the Asherah, both male and female fertility gods. Worship of these gods had the end goal of guaranteeing a fruitful harvest and prosperity. But Elijah had prophesied a three and a half year drought, which would render this worship in vain. After the declared three and a half year time period expired, Elijah then challenged the prophets of Baal and Asherah to a sort of holy duel on Mount Carmel on the coast of Israel, overlooking the Mediterranean Sea. While the priest of Baal tried in vain to call down fire from heaven, Elijah was able to ignite a firestorm of a bonfire, thanks to the faithfulness of the one true God of Israel, Adonai. And almost immediately, the drought ended, and the rain began to fall, demonstrating God's authority over creation. And the powers that be didn't like that. In fact, Jezebel was so enraged, she issued a death sentence for Elijah because he challenged her authority and he challenged the power of her foreign gods that she brought to Israel. And 1 Kings 19 verse 3 tells us that Elijah was afraid and he arose and ran for his life. In fact, when he got to Beersheba in the southern kingdom of Judah, he left his own servant there and then went on ahead into the wilderness of sin alone. Now, after 40 days and nights, Elijah came to a cave at Mount Horeb, which is also known as Mount Sinai. And there he quote, lodged in it. Elijah was prepared to stay there and to die there. In spite of the fact that God had called Elijah to be the prophet of Israel nearly 800 miles away, in spite of the fact that God had proven himself faithful and more powerful than the false gods he had defeated at Mount Carmel, in spite of the fact that God had demonstrated his religious authority and his creational authority by shutting up the heavens, then raining down fire on the altar at Carmel, and then bringing a torrent of rain to wash away the dust of a faithless nation, Elijah ran in fear and hid as far from the danger as he could go. And God's words to Elijah was simply this, What are you doing here, Elijah? To paraphrase more contextually, what are you doing here, Elijah, 800 miles from where you belong? Why are you so afraid of the ones I have already beaten in front of an audience of thousands? Why have you allowed your circumstances to throw you off track of the mission that I have empowered you for? 
The same question could be posed to Israel as well. Why are you here, wandering around in the wilderness of sin, abandoning me yet again in favor of a foreign god with empty promises? Why are you following a leader that makes promises to you based on shallow philosophies of prosperity found in a god that doesn't hold water? Why is the kingdom of the promised land divided against itself between Israel and Judah, making it easier for your enemies to slowly take you away into captivity? And I pose the same question to you today. Why are you living under your circumstances? When God has demonstrated time and again in your life that he has the grace, the mercy, the love, and the power to gird you up and to protect you and provide for you and empower you, why do you find yourself cowering behind your self-doubt and your fear? How did we as a nation abandon God and instead turn our eyes to the fickle God of prosperity that takes more than it gives? How did we become so divided that all we see in our society are the political extremes and the divisive rhetoric that seeks to destroy rather than to unite us? You know, we can sit back and blame our politicians and our elected officials. We can point the finger and even blame the devil. We can accuse those that think differently than us, look differently than us, or work differently than us. We can even shake our fists to the heavens and blame a seemingly absent God that doesn't appear to have a care in the world. But in every single one of those cases, we would be dead wrong. The only person we have to blame is ourselves collectively, as a whole. Because we have fallen for the same lie that has proven itself to be a self-destructive force time and again throughout all of creation. We have continued to perpetuate the same lie that the serpent told Eve in the garden. We have bowed at the altar of self-sufficiency and left. No, we have kicked God out of the equation. In Genesis 3, verse 5, in the words of the serpent, For God knows that in the day that you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. The interesting thing to note is the word used for knowing in that verse is the same Hebrew word, yada, for declaration, or God says. Truth be told, in the simplest of terms, good is obedience to God. Evil is disobedience to God. That's it. Nothing more, nothing less. Adam and Eve already knew that because God had already told them the consequences of disobedience. And you can't get any worse of a consequence than death. The serpent was, in effect, telling Adam and Eve that they did not need God. They could declare for themselves what is right and what was wrong. They could decide what was good and evil. You see, Satan began with doubt. He caused Eve to doubt God's word. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said, You shall not eat from any tree of the garden? See, once the seed of doubt in God's word was sown, 
The water of self-interest was then poured out with a lie, and sin was born with a bite that is eaten through the fabric of space and time. So to reiterate God's question to Elijah, what are you doing here? First, we have doubted God's word. We have allowed incremental compromises of belief in the name of multiculturalism and political correctness to erode our standard of moral behavior. We have stopped taking God at his word. Secondly, we have bought into the lie that not only do we not need God, but we are gods unto ourselves deciding what is right and wrong. We no longer have any external standard of truth to live by other than our own depraved and sinful conscience. And finally, we have succumbed to sin. And in Romans 3, verse 23, Paul writes, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But I'm here to tell you there is hope, because he also said we can be justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. This was to demonstrate his righteousness, because in the forbearance of God, he passed his sins, previously committed for the demonstration of his righteousness at the present time, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. The hope we found in our faith in Christ Jesus as the payment for our sins. God could not allow sin to go unpunished. As Paul explains in Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. But there's hope because the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The Father of us all loves us more than he hates our sin. He loved us so much that he sent his perfect son to be the only sacrifice worthy of taking our place on Calvary. He forgives us when he did not deserve forgiveness. He gives us grace not because we've earned it, but because he loves us. He shows us mercy not because we ask for it, but because he asked for us. Proverbs 10 verse 12 says, Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all transgressions. And he loves us enough to give us another chance when we fail him. Not because he needs us to fulfill his purposes, but because his purpose is to redeem us from ourselves. So if you find yourself asking the question, what am I doing here? Maybe God is asking you the same question. Perhaps you are wondering in your own wilderness of sin due to your own doubts about God's promises. Perhaps you have left his flock to wander aimlessly on your own, hoping to find a safe place to hide from the world around you. If this is you, it is my prayer that these next few episodes will hasten your journey back home into his arms. 
If you're out there feeling like you're a lone voice in the midst of our moral turmoil around you, take heart and stand strong. He is there beside you and he will honor your obedience. Rest assured, he will never leave you alone. Thank you for tuning in today. It is our prayer that you have been enriched by this time we have together. Please visit us at wildernesswanderings.org and check out our sponsors. If you have any prayer requests, please email us at prayer at wildernesswanderings.org. And join us next time as we wander further into the riches and wonder of God's grace.